story seven of life's little ironies by thomas hardy this librivox recording is in the public domain story seven the fiddler of the reels talking of exhibitions world's fair and what not said the old gentleman i would not go round the corner to see a dozen of them nowadays the only exhibition that ever made or ever will make any impression upon my imagination was the first of the series the parent of them all and now a thing of old times the great exhibition of eighteen fifty one in hyde park london none of the younger generation can realize the sense of novelty it produced in us who were then in our prime a noun substantive went so far as to become an adjective in honour of the occasion it was exhibition hat exhibition razor strop exhibition watch nay even exhibition weather exhibition spirits sweethearts babies wives for the time for south wessex the year formed in many ways an extraordinary chronological frontier or transit line at which there occurred what one might call a precipice in time as in a geological fault we had presented to us a sudden bringing of ancient and modern into absolute contact such as probably in no other single year since the conquest was ever witnessed in this part of the country these observations led us onward to talk of the different personages gentle and simple who lived and moved within our narrow and peaceful horizon at that time and of three people in particular whose queer little history was oddly touched at points by the exhibition more concerned with it than that of anybody else who dwelt in those outlying shades of the world stickleford melstock and egdon first in prominence among these three came wat olamour if that were his real name whom the seniors in our party had well known he was a woman's man they said supremely so externally little else to men he was not attractive perhaps a little repulsive at times musician dandy and company man in practice veterinary surgeon in theory he lodged a while in melstock village coming from nobody knew where though some said his first appearance in this neighbourhood had been as fiddle-player in a show at greenhill fair many a worthy villager envied him his power over unsophisticated maidenhood a power which seemed sometimes to have a touch of the weird and wizardly in it personally he was not ill-favoured though rather un-english his complexion being a rich olive his rank hair dark and rather clammy made still clammier by secret ointments which when he came fresh to a party caused him to smell like boy's love southernwood steeped in lamp-oil on occasion he wore curls a double row running almost horizontally around his head but as these were sometimes noticeably absent it was concluded that they were not altogether of nature's making by girls whose love for him had turned to hatred he had been nicknamed mop from this abundance of hair which was long enough to rest upon his shoulders as time passed the name more and more prevailed his fiddling possibly had the most to do with the fascination he exercised for to speak fairly it could claim for itself a most peculiar and personal quality like that in a moving preacher 
there were tones in it which bred the immediate conviction that indolence and averseness to systematic application were all that lay between mop and the career of a second paganini while playing he invariably closed his eyes used no notes and as it were allowing the violin to wander on at will into the most plaintive passages ever heard by rustic man there was a certain lingual character in the supplicatory expressions he produced which would well-nigh have drawn an ache from the heart of a gate-post he could make any child in the parish who was at all sensitive to music burst into tears in a few minutes by simply fiddling one of the old dance tunes he almost entirely affected country jigs reels and favourite quicksteps of the last century some mutilated remains of which even now reappear as nameless phantoms in new quadrilles and gallops where they are recognised only by the curious or by such old-fashioned and far-between people as have been thrown with men like wat olimur in their early life his date was a little later than that of the old Melstock choir band which comprised the deweys male and the rest in fact he did not rise above the horizon thereabout till those well-known musicians were disbanded as ecclesiastical functionaries in their honest love of thoroughness they despised the new man's style theophilus dewey reuben the tranter's younger brother used to say there was no plumbness in it no bowing no solidity it was all fantastical and probably this was true anyhow mop had very obviously never bowed a note of church music from his birth he never once sat in the gallery of melstock church where the others had tuned their venerable psalmody so many hundreds of times had never in all likelihood entered a church at all all were devil's tunes in his repertory he could no more play the wold hundredth to his true time than he could play the brazen serpent the tranter would say the brazen serpent was supposed in mellstock to be a musical instrument particularly hard to blow occasionally mop could produce the aforesaid moving effect upon the souls of grown-up persons especially young women of fragile and responsive organization such an one was carline aspent though she was already engaged to be married before she met him carline of them all was the most influenced by mop olimur's heart-stealing melodies to her discomfort nay positive pain and ultimate injury she was a pretty invocating weak-mouthed girl whose chief defect as a companion with her sex was a tendency to peevishness now and then at this time she was not a resident in Melstock Parish, where Mop lodged, but lived some miles off at Strickleford, farther down the river. How and where she first made acquaintance with him and his fiddling is not truly known, but the story was that it either began or was developed on one spring evening, when, in passing through Lower Melstock, she chanced to pause on the bridge near his house to rest herself, and languidly leaned over the parapet mop was standing on his doorstep as was his custom spinning the insidious thread of semi and demi semi quavers from the e-string of his fiddle for the benefit of passers-by and laughing as the tears rolled down the cheeks of the little children hanging around him 
carline pretended to be engrossed with the rippling of the stream under the arches but in reality she was listening as he knew presently the aching of the heart seized her simultaneously with a wild desire to glide airily in the mazes of an infinite dance to shake off the fascination she resolved to go on although it would be necessary to pass him as he played on stealthily glancing ahead at the performer she found to her relief that his eyes were closed in abandonment to instrumentation and she strode on boldly but when closer her step grew timid her tread convulsed itself more and more accordantly with the time of the melody till she very nearly danced along gaining another glance at him when immediately opposite she saw that one of his eyes was open quizzing her as he smiled at her emotional state her gait could not divest itself of its compelled capers till she had gone a long way past the house and carline was unable to shake off the strange infatuation for hours after that day whenever there was to be in the neighbourhood a dance to which she could get an invitation and where mop olimur was to be the musician carline contrived to be present though it sometimes involved a walk of several miles for he did not play so often in stickleford as elsewhere the next evidences of his influence over her were singular enough and it would require a neurologist to fully explain them she would be sitting quietly any evening after dark in the house of her father the parish clerk which stood in the middle of stickleford village street this being the high road between lower mellstock and moreford five miles eastward here without a moment's warning and in the midst of a general conversation between her father sister and the young man before alluded to who devotedly wooed her in ignorance of her infatuation she would start from her seat in the chimney-corner as if she had received a galvanic shock and spring convulsively towards the ceiling then she would burst into tears and it was not till some half-hour had passed that she grew calm as usual her father knowing her hysterical tendencies was always excessively anxious about this trait in his youngest girl and feared the attack to be a species of epileptic fit not so her sister julia julia had found out what was the cause at the moment before the jumping only an exceptionally sensitive ear situated in the chimney-nook could have caught from down the flue the beat of a man's footstep along the highway without but it was in that footfall for which she had been waiting that the origin of carline's involuntary springing lay the pedestrian was mop olamour as the girl well knew but his business that way was not to visit her he sought another woman whom he spoke of as his intended and who lived at moreford two miles farther on on one and only one occasion did it happen that carline could not control her utterance it was when her sister alone chanced to be present oh 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 she cried he's going to her and not coming to me to do the fiddler justice he had not at first thought greatly of or spoken much to this girl of impressionable mould but he had soon found out her secret and could not resist a little by-play with her too easily hurt heart as an interlude between his more serious performance at moreford 
the two became well acquainted though only by stealth hardly a soul in stickleford except her sister and her lover ned hipcroft being aware of the attachment her father disapproved of her coldness to ned her sister too hoped she might get over this nervous passion for a man of whom so little was known the ultimate result was that carline's manly and simple wooer edward found his suit becoming practically hopeless he was a respectable mechanic in a far sounder position than mop the nominal horse-doctor but when before leaving her ned put his flat and final question would she marry him then and there now or never it was with little expectation of obtaining more than the negative she gave him though her father supported him and her sister supported him he could not play the fiddle so as to draw your soul out of your body like a spider's thread as mop did till you felt as limp as withy wind and yearned for something to cling to indeed hipcroft had not the slightest ear for music could not sing two notes in tune much less play them the no he had expected and got from her in spite of a preliminary encouragement gave ned a new start in life it had been uttered in such a tone of sad entreaty that he resolved to persecute her no more she should not even be distressed by a sight of his form in the distant perspective of the street and lane he left the place and his natural course was to london the railway to south wessex was in process of construction but it was not as yet opened for traffic and hipcroft reached the capital by a six days trudge on foot as many a better man had done before him he was one of the last of the artisan class who used that now extinct method of travel to the great centres of labour so customary then from time immemorial in london he lived and worked regularly at his trade more fortunate than many his disinterested willingness recommended him from the first during the ensuing four years he was never out of employment he neither advanced nor receded in the modern sense he improved as a workman but he did not shift one jot in social position about his love for carline he maintained a rigid silence no doubt he often thought of her but being always occupied and having no relations at stickleford he held no communication with that part of the country and showed no desire to return in his silent lodging in lambeth he moved about after working hours with the facility of a woman doing his own cooking attending to his stocking heels and shaping himself by degrees to a lifelong bachelorhood for this conduct one is bound to advance the canonical reason that time could not efface from his heart the image of little carline aspent and it may be in part true but there was also the inference that his was a nature not greatly dependent upon the ministrations of the other sex for its comforts the fourth year of his residence as a mechanic in london was the year of the hyde park exhibition already mentioned and at the construction of this huge glass-house then unexampled in the world's history he worked daily it was an era of great hope and activity among the nations and industries though hipcroft was in his small way a central man in the movement he plodded on with his usual outward placidity 
yet for him too the year was destined to have its surprises for when the bustle of getting the building ready for the opening day was past the ceremonies had been witnessed and people were flocking thither from all parts of the globe he received a letter from carline till that day the silence of four years between himself and stickleford had never been broken she informed her old lover in an uncertain penmanship which suggested a trembling hand of the trouble she had been put to in ascertaining his address and then broached the subject which had prompted her to write four years ago she said with the greatest delicacy of which she was capable she had been so foolish as to refuse him her wilful wrong-headedness had since been a grief to her many times and of late particularly as for mr ollamoor he had been absent almost as long as ned she did not know where she would gladly marry ned now if he were to ask her again and be a tender little wife to him till her life's end a tide of warm feeling must have surged through ned hipcroft's frame on receipt of this news if we may judge by the issue unquestionably he loved her still even if not to the exclusion of every other happiness this from his carline she who had been dead to him these many years alive to him again as of old was in itself a pleasant gratifying thing ned had grown so resigned to or satisfied with his lonely lot that he probably would not have shown much jubilation at anything still a certain ardour of preoccupation after his first surprise revealed how deeply her confession of faith in him had stirred him measured and methodical in his ways he did not answer the letter that day or the next nor the next he was having a good think when he did answer it there was a great deal of sound reasoning mixed in with the unmistakable tenderness of his reply but the tenderness itself was sufficient to reveal that he was pleased with her straightforward frankness that the anchorage she had once obtained in his heart was renewable if it had not been continuously firm he told her and as he wrote his lips twitched humorously over the few gentle words of raillery he indited among the rest of his sentences that it was all very well for her to come round at this time of day why wouldn't she have him when he wanted her she had no doubt learned that he was not married but suppose his affections had been fixed on another she ought to beg his pardon still he was not the man to forget her but considering how he had been used and what he had suffered she could not quite expect him to go down to stickleford and fetch her but if she would come to him and say she was sorry as was only fair why yes he would marry her knowing what a good little woman she was at the core he added that the request for her to come to him was a less one to make than it would have been when he first left stickleford or even a few months ago for the new railway into south wessex was now open and there had just begun to be run wonderfully contrived special trains called excursion trains on account of the great exhibition so that she could come up easily alone she said in her reply how good it was of him to treat her so generously after her hot and cold treatment of him 
that though she felt frightened at the magnitude of the journey and was never as yet in a railway train having only seen one pass at a distance she embraced his offer with all her heart and would indeed own to him how sorry she was and beg his pardon and try to be a good wife always and make up for lost time the remaining details of when and where were soon settled carline informing him for her ready identification in the crowd that she would be wearing my new sprigged laylock cotton gown and ned gaily responding that having married her the morning after her arrival he would make a day of it by taking her to the exhibition one early summer afternoon accordingly he came from his place of work and hastened towards waterloo station to meet her it was as wet and chilly as an english june day can occasionally be but as he waited on the platform in the drizzle he glowed inwardly and seemed to have something to live for again the excursion train an absolutely new departure in the history of travel was still a novelty on the wessex line and probably everywhere crowds of people had flocked to all the stations on the way up to witness the unwanted sight of so long a train's passage even where they did not take advantage of the opportunity it offered the seats for the humbler class of travellers in these early experiments in steam locomotion were open trucks without any protection whatever from the wind and rain and damp weather having set in with the afternoon the unfortunate occupants of these vehicles were on the train drawing up at the london terminus found to be in a pitiable condition from their long journey blue-faced stiff-necked sneezing rain-beaten chilled to the marrow many of the men being hatless in fact they resembled people who had been out all night in an open boat on a rough sea rather than inland excursionists for pleasure the women had in some degree protected themselves by turning up the skirts of their gowns over their heads but as by this arrangement they were additionally exposed about the hips they were all more or less in a sorry plight in the bustle and crush of alighting forms of both sexes which followed the entry of the huge concatenation into the station ned hipcroft soon discerned the slim little figure his eye was in search of in the sprigged lilac as described she came up to him with a frightened smile still pretty though so damp weather-beaten and shivering from long exposure to the wind oh ned she sputtered i i he clasped her in his arms and kissed her whereupon she burst into a flood of tears you are wet my poor dear i hope you'll not get cold he said and surveying her and her multifarious surrounding packages he noticed that by the hand she led a toddling child a little girl of three or so whose hood was as clammy and tender face as blue as those of the other travellers who is this somebody you know asked ned curiously yes ned she's mine yours yes my own your own child yes well as god's in ned i didn't name it in my letter because you see it would have been so hard to explain i thought that when we met i could tell you how she happened to be born so much better than in writing i hope you'll excuse it this once dear ned and not scold me now i've come so many many miles 
this means mr mop olimoor i reckon said hipcroft gazing palely at them from the distance of the yard or two to which he had withdrawn with a start carline gasped but he's been gone away for years she supplicated and i never had a young man before and i was so unlucky to be catched the first time though some of the girls down there go on like anything ned remained in silence pondering you'll forgive me dear ned she added beginning to sob outright i haven't taken any in after all because because you can pack us back again if you want to though tis hundreds of miles and so wet and night a-coming on and i with no money what the devil can i do hipcroft groaned a more pitiable picture than the pair of helpless creatures presented was never seen on a rainy day as they stood on the great gaunt puddled platform a whiff of drizzle blowing under the roof upon them now and then the pretty attire in which they had started from stickleford in the early morning bemuddled and sodden weariness on their faces and fear of him in their eyes for the child began to look as if she thought she too had done some wrong remaining in an appalled silence till the tears rolled down her chubby cheeks what's the matter my little maid said ned mechanically i do want to go home she let out in tones that told of a bursting heart and my totties be cold and i shan't have no bread and butter no more i don't know what to say to it all declared ned his own eye moist as he turned and walked a few steps with his head down then regarded them again point-blank from the child escaped troubled breaths and silently welling tears want some bread and butter do ee he said with factitious hardness e yes well i dare say i can get ee a bit naturally you must want some and you too for that matter carline i do feel a little hungered but i can keep it off she murmured folks shouldn't do that he said gruffly there come along he caught up the child as he added you must bide here to-night anyhow i suppose what can you do otherwise i'll get ee some tea and victuals and as for this job i'm sure i don't know what to say this is the way out they pursued their way without speaking to ned's lodgings which were not far off there he dried them and made them comfortable and prepared tea they thankfully sat down the ready-made household of which he suddenly found himself the head imparted a cosy aspect to his room and a paternal one to himself presently he turned to the child and kissed her now blooming cheeks and looking wistfully at carline kissed her also i don't see how i can send ee back all them miles he growled now you've come all the way a purpose to join me but you must trust me carline and show you've real faith in me well do you feel better now my little woman the child nodded her mouth being otherwise occupied i did trust you ned in coming and i shall always thus without any definite agreement to forgive her he tacitly acquiesced in the fate that heaven had sent him and on the day of their marriage which was not quite so soon as he had expected it could be on account of the time necessary for bands he took her to the exhibition when they came back from church as he had promised while standing near a large mirror in one of the courts devoted to furniture 
carline started for in the glass appeared the reflection of a form exactly resembling mop olimore's so exactly that it seemed impossible to believe anybody but that artist in person to be the original on passing round the objects which hemmed in ned her and the child from a direct view no mop was to be seen whether he were really in london or not at that time was never known and carline always stoutly denied that her readiness to go and meet ned in town arose from any rumour that mop had also gone thither which denial there was no reasonable ground for doubting and then the year glided away and the exhibition folded itself up and became a thing of the past the park trees that had been enclosed for six months were again exposed to the winds and storms and the sod grew green anew ned found that carline resolved herself into a very good wife and companion though she had made herself what is called cheap to him but in that she was like another domestic article a cheap teapot which often brews better tea than a dear one one autumn hipcroft found himself with but little work to do and a prospect of less for the winter both being country-born and bred they fancied they would like to live again in their natural atmosphere it was accordingly decided between them that they should leave the pent-up london lodging and that ned should seek out employment near his native place his wife and her daughter staying with carline's father during the search for occupation and an abode of their own tinglings of pleasure pervaded carline's spasmodic little frame as she journeyed down with ned to the place she had left two or three years before in silence and under a cloud to return to where she had once been despised a smiling london wife with a distinct london accent was a triumph which the world did not witness every day the train did not stop at the petty roadside station that lay nearest to stickleford and the trio went on to casterbridge ned thought it a good opportunity to make a few preliminary inquiries for employment at workshops in the borough where he had been known and feeling cold from her journey and it being dry underfoot and only dusk as yet with a moon on the point of rising carline and her little girl walked on towards stickleford leaving ned to follow at a quicker pace and pick her up at a certain halfway house widely known as an inn the woman and child pursued the well-remembered way comfortably enough though they were both becoming wearied in the course of three miles they had passed heedless william's pond the familiar landmark by bloom's end and were drawing near the quiet woman inn a lone roadside hostel on the lower verge of the egdon heath since and for many years abolished in stepping up towards it carline heard more voices within than had formerly been customary at such an hour and she learned that an auction of fat stock had been held near the spot that afternoon the child would be the better for a rest as well as herself she thought and she entered the guests and customers overflowed into the passage and carline had no sooner crossed the threshold than a man whom she remembered by sight came forward with glass and mug in his hands towards a friend leaning against the wall but seeing her very gallantly offered her a drink of the liquor which was gin and beer hot pouring her out a tumbler full and saying in a moment or two 
surely tis little carline aspent that was down at stickleford she assented and though she did not exactly want this beverage she drank it since it was offered and her entertainer begged her to come in farther and sit down once within the room she found that all the persons present were seated close against the walls and there being a chair vacant she did the same an explanation of their position occurred the next moment in the opposite corner stood mop rosining his bow and looking just the same as ever the company had cleared the middle of the room for dancing and they were about to dance again as she wore a veil to keep off the wind she did not think he had recognized her or could possibly guess the identity of the child and to her satisfied surprise she found that she could confront him quite calmly mistress of herself in the dignity her london life had given her before she had quite emptied her glass the dance was called the dancers formed in two lines the music sounded and the figure began then matters changed for carline a tremor quickened itself to life in her and her hand so shook that she could hardly set down her glass it was not the dance nor the dancers but the notes of that old violin which thrilled the london wife these having still all the witchery that she had so well known of yore and under which she had used to lose her power of independent will how it all came back there was the fiddling figure against the wall the large oily mop-like head of him and beneath the mop the face with closed eyes after the first moments of paralyzed reverie the familiar tune in the familiar rendering made her laugh and shed tears simultaneously then a man at the bottom of the dance whose partner had dropped away stretched out his hand and beckoned to her to take the place she did not want to dance she entreated by signs to be left where she was but she was entreating of the tune and its player rather than of the dancing man the saltatory tendency which the fiddler and his cunning instrument had ever been able to start in her was seizing carline just as it had done in earlier years possibly assisted by the gin and beer hot tired as she was she grasped her little girl by the hand and plunging in at the bottom of the figure whirled about with the rest she found that her companions were mostly people of the neighbouring hamlets and farms bloom's end mellstock lewgate and elsewhere and by degrees she was recognised as she convulsively danced on wishing that mop would cease and let her heart rest from the aching he caused and her feet also after long and many minutes the dance ended when she was urged to fortify herself with more gin and beer which she did feeling very weak and overpowered with hysteric emotion she refrained from unveiling to keep mop in ignorance of her presence if possible several of the guests having left carline hastily wiped her lips and also turned to go but according to the account of some who remained at that very moment a five-handed reel was proposed in which two or three begged her to join she declined on the plea of being tired and having to walk to stickleford when mop began aggressively tweedling my fancy lad in d major as the air to which the reel was to be footed 
he must have recognized her though she did not know it for it was the strain of all seductive strains which she was least able to resist the one he had played when she was leaning over the bridge at the date of their first acquaintance carline stepped despairingly into the middle of the room with the other four reels were resorted to hereabouts at this time by the more robust spirits for the reduction of superfluous energy which the ordinary figure dances were not powerful enough to exhaust as everybody knows or does not know the five reelers stood in the form of a cross the reel being performed by each line of three alternately the persons who successively came to the middle place dancing in both directions carline soon found herself in this place the axis of the whole performance and could not get out of it the tune turning into the first part without giving her opportunity and now she began to suspect that mop did know her and was doing this on purpose though whenever she stole a glance at him his closed eyes betokened obliviousness to everything outside his own brain she continued to wend her way through the figure of eight that was formed by her course the fiddler introducing into his notes the wild and agonizing sweetness of a living voice in one too highly wrought its pathos running high and running low in endless variation projecting through her nerves excruciating spasms a sort of blissful torture the room swam the tune was endless in about a quarter of an hour the only other woman in the figure dropped out exhausted and sank panting on a bench the reel instantly resolved itself into a four-handed one carline would have given anything to leave off but she had or fancied she had no power while mop played such tunes and thus another ten minutes slipped by a haze of dust now clouding the candles the floor being of stone sanded then another dancer fell out one of the men and went into the passage in a frantic search for liquor to turn the figure into a three-handed reel was the work of a second mop modulating at the same time into the fairy dance as better suited to the contracted movement and no less one of those foods of love which as manufactured by his bow had always intoxicated her in a reel for three there was no rest whatever and four or five minutes were enough to make her remaining two partners now thoroughly blown stamp their last bar and like their predecessors limp off into the next room to get something to drink carline half stifled inside her veil was left dancing alone the apartment now being empty of everybody save herself mop and their little girl she flung up the veil and cast her eyes upon him as if imploring him to withdraw himself and his acoustic magnetism from the atmosphere mop opened one of his own orbs as though for the first time fixed it peeringly upon her and smiling dreamily threw into his strains the reserve of expression which he could not afford to waste on a big and noisy dance crowds of little chromatic subtleties capable of drawing tears from a statue proceeded straightway from the ancient fiddle as if it were dying of the emotion which had been pent up within it ever since its banishment from some italian city where it first took shape and sound there was that in the look of mop's one dark eye which said you cannot leave off dear whether you would or no 
and it bred in her a paroxysm of desperation that defied him to tire her down she thus continued to dance alone defiantly as she thought but in truth slavishly and abjectly subject to every wave of the melody and probed by the gimlet-like gaze of her fascinator's open eye keeping up at the same time a feeble smile in his face as a feint to signify it was still her own pleasure which led her on a terrified embarrassment as to what she could say to him if she were to leave off had its unrecognized share in keeping her going the child who was beginning to be distressed by the strange situation came up and said stop mother stop and let's go home as she seized carline's hand suddenly carline sank staggering to the floor and rolling over on her face prone she remained mop's fiddle thereupon emitted an elfin shriek of finality stepping quickly down from the nine-gallon beer-cask which had formed his rostrum he went to the little girl who disconsolately bent over her mother the guests who had gone into the back room for liquor and change of air hearing something unusual trooped back hitherward where they endeavoured to revive poor weak carline by blowing her with the bellows and opening the window ned her husband who had been detained in casterbridge as aforesaid came along the road at this juncture and hearing excited voices through the open casement and to his great surprise the mention of his wife's name he entered amid the rest upon the scene carline was now in convulsions weeping violently and for a long time nothing could be done with her while he was sending for a cart to take her onward to stickleford hipcroft anxiously inquired how it had all happened and then the assembly explained that a fiddler formerly known in the locality had lately revisited his old haunts and had taken upon himself without invitation to play that evening at the inn ned demanded the fiddler's name and they said olamour ah exclaimed ned looking round him where is he and, and where's my little girl Olamour had disappeared and so had the child hipcroft was in ordinary a quiet and tractable fellow but a determination which was to be feared settled in his face now blast him he cried i'll beat his skull in for him if i swing for it to-morrow he had rushed to the poker which lay on the hearth and hastened down the passage the people following outside the house on the other side of the highway a mass of dark heathland rose sullenly upward to its not easily accessible interior a ravined plateau whereon jutted into the sky at the distance of a couple of miles the fir woods of mistover backed by the yalbury coppices a place of dantesque gloom at this hour which would have afforded secure hiding for a battery of artillery much less a man and a child some other men plunged thitherward with him and more went along the road they were gone about twenty minutes altogether returning without result to the inn ned sat down in the settle and clasped his forehead with his hands well what a fool the man is and have been all these years if he thinks the child his as a domain to they whispered and everybody else knowing otherwise no i don't think tis mine cried ned hoarsely as he looked up from his hands but she is mine all the same 
hadn't i nussed her hadn't i fed her and teached her hadn't i played wid her oh little carrie gone with that rogue gone you ain't lost your missus anyhow they said to console him she's throwed up the spirits and is feeling better and she's more to ee than a child that isn't yours she isn't she's not so particular much to me especially now she's lost the little maid but carries everything well very like you'll find her to-morrow ah but shall i yet he can't hurt her surely he can't well how's carline now i am ready is the cart here she was lifted into the vehicle and they sadly lumbered on towards stickleford next day she was calmer but the fits were still upon her and her will seemed shattered for the child she appeared to show singularly little anxiety though ned was nearly distracted it was nevertheless quite expected that the impish mop would restore the lost one after a freak of a day or two but time went on and neither he nor she could be heard of and hipcroft murmured that perhaps he was exercising upon her some unholy musical charm as he had done upon carline herself weeks passed and still they could obtain no clue either to the fiddler's whereabouts or the girl's and how he could have induced her to go with him remained a mystery then ned who had obtained only temporary employment in the neighbourhood took a sudden hatred toward his native district and a rumour reaching his ears through the police that a somewhat similar man and child had been seen at a fair near london he playing a violin she dancing on stilts a new interest in the capital took possession of hipcroft with an intensity which would scarcely allow him time to pack before returning thither he did not however find the lost one though he made it the entire business of his over hours to stand about in by-streets in the hope of discovering her and would start up in the night saying that rascal's torturing her to maintain him to which his wife would answer peevishly don't he raft yourself so ned you prevent my getting a bit of rest he won't hurt her and fell asleep again that carrie and her father had emigrated to america was the general opinion mop no doubt finding the girl a highly desirable companion when he had trained her to keep him by her earnings as a dancer there for that matter they may be performing in some capacity now though he must be an old scamp verging on threescore and ten and she a woman of four and forty may eighteen ninety three end of story seven